listening to Omnis Protocol. I am Charles, also known as Omnis, and I'm here with Jacob from Xavier Protocols. Welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me back again. Is it weird that I call you sir like you think you're going to get knighted or anything like that? Uh, I'm a teacher. I'm used to it. (laughs) Well, so I'm really happy that you're back on for this episode. You kind of, this whole topic was a transition of our bonus episode about when to attack. Yeah. So I suppose I should probably tell the listeners what we're talking about today. So you've seen the title of the episode, Balance of Power. What does that mean? Um, Well, what Jacob and I are going to talk about today is within every game of Marvel Crisis Protocol, there's kind of a mini game that I'm calling the Balance of Power, which is managing how much power you're generating versus your opponent and how efficiently you spend your power. Because it's really easy to create situations where if every single time that you can use one of your spender attacks that does not generate power for you, but then you do a bunch of damage to your opponent, you can end up in a situation where your opponent ends up being able to spend a larger amount of power than you do over the course of a game. And to kind of use just an exaggerated example to put it in perspective, if you imagine one turn, every single one of your characters uses their spender attacks and they go down to zero power. And so you make bunches of attacks on your opponent and do a bunch of damage. And now all of their characters have a lot of power going into that next round. Who do you think is going to be advantaged in that situation where one player is starting out with the bare minimum, like one power each, and all of their characters have the ability to do tons of different options of throws and amplifying boosts and like all sorts of different things? You can see how that would create a problem for you. Now, obviously, it's a lot more nuanced, and that's what we're going to get into in this episode, because sometimes you do need to use that spender to you know try to daze or KO someone. That's really a key, but... When is it not the right decision? And so that's kind of what Jacob and I are going to talk about today. Do you have any points that you want to get into that you think is just general information for the listeners before we tackle our specific topics? Yeah, I think one really interesting thing is to point out at this stage, power is not a way you win the game. Winning the power economy does not win you the games. Having more power or spending more power than your opponent generates no VPs. You need to be using that power constructively towards a route to victory. So just the framework of all of the things we're going to talk about is to say, this is not the whole game. It's not the case that just win the power economy and you will win the game. You need to use that power effectively as well. Exactly. And I think that you could compare it to a card game, right? Obviously, gaining a card advantage in almost any card game is a very good thing. But simply drawing cards doesn't actually win you the game. You have to play them in such a way that generates a successful victory. And what we're talking about here is absolutely trying to gain an advantage via power generation and power spending and then allow that to benefit you in such a way that can lead to victory points. So Absolutely. Um, I think the first thing that we're going to dive into is amplifiers. And there's going to be a couple of terms that we're throwing around in this episode that are not game terms necessarily, which is amplifier, which is that is going to be ability like um, Friday AI on Iron Man. That is something that amplifies an attack where you spend power and then you are amplifying a specific attack. Um, And... You know, to a certain extent, binary form on Captain Marvel is an amplifier as well. Again, it's a way to spend power to amplify something. Even Vibranium Shield is an amplifier. And then Spender is what we're referring to. Any attack where you're spending power to generate damage. Um, That could be, you know, homing rockets on, um, on Iron Man. You know, that sort of thing. And so, but we just kind of like 
rather than every single time going, uh, the attack that generates, that costs power, that does more damage, like spenders and amplifiers. So um, the idea here is managing the benefits of, say, like Crossbones or Iron Man are potentially good examples here of when do you use their spender attack versus using the power to use an amplifier ability. And so I guess my first question here for Jacob is when you're trying to prioritize these two actions, let's say, you know, Crossbones, for instance, and you have the power to make one attack and one spender and you have the power to amplify one of those two. Which one do you amplify and why? Okay, so I've been on a bit of a journey with this topic. Uh, when you first approached me and we had an initial conversation, I had a very strong point of view, which I'll, I'll outline, but it's, it's evolved, certainly. And I've looked at, dug into more of the maths, as, as you might expect. Um, and I have a more nuanced point of view. But certainly when you first came to me, uh, it was this idea of, okay, I'm spending this power. Should I spend this power to amplify my power-generating strike ability or typically higher damage dealing uh, spender attack. And I went, after a small amount of thought, I went, well, obviously spending that power in order to benefit your strike ability, in order to recoup power, didn't make any sense. Well, that was my initial reaction, saying spending power to get power, why don't I just not spend the power? And instead, I'll spend that power to boost the stronger attack, and that will reap me more benefits. So now, for, I'm going to interrupt you for just a second, because I forgot to mention this in the beginning. One of the key points that we're talking about here is that when you use your standard strike attacks, is that you deal damage to your opponent, whether it's two or three damage, and you get power out of it, and they get power out of it. So naturally, whenever you use a strike, the balance of power is roughly even. But whenever you use a spender, you are taking away from your power surplus to deal damage and they gain power, but you do not. So you are losing power, they are gaining power and trying to manage how that affects the overall gameplay. I think that was a key detail that we, yeah. that I yeah, missed. It's it. uh, an important thing to make sure we're clear on. So that, that was my first reaction initially was why am I going to be spending power to try and gain more power. That makes no that made no sense to me. I'm like, well, surely you just spend the power on dealing more damage. That's just 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 better because but well, I think that's in, the kind of normal thought process, right? You yeah, get the power, yeah. and then I spend the power to deal damage, right? That's great. You want to daze characters, but it's more nuanced than that. I think you're right. And I think crossbones is a great example. So let's imagine a situation where we're on six power, so I can afford to pay for one haymaker, and I can afford to pay for one uh, overpower, as well as having one strike. So I'm sitting there on six power. Let's imagine I'm next to my target. For the sake of argument, let's say Doc Ock. So he's got four physical defense, and he's got five uh, stamina, and he hasn't taken any damage. So I ran the maths on, well, what if I spend the two power to Haymaker my overpower and then do a strike to start with or afterwards, or it doesn't really matter, as opposed to doing a Haymaker on my strike and then having an overpower. And the thing that comes out of it is, well, you're sitting on six power, you're spending four on Haymaker, so you now have two power left. If your strike that goes first generates two damage and therefore two power, you're now back up to four and you're chaining haymakers, which means you're making two eight dice attack rather than an eight dice attack and a five dice attack. 
you do suffer a little bit because you are throwing uh, well, you haven't got the opportunity to throw if you're throwing two strikes so you lose the option of doing one point of automatic damage but that's only um, that's only uh, got a certain I think it's 63% chance of that happening anyway so that's not guaranteed so I factored all of that into a big calculation and it turns out if you go for what we think would be the obvious thing of a strike and then a haymaker with an overthrow, uh, overthrow. that comes out to 56% chance of dazing Ock. Whereas if you gamble on your um, haymaker strike, maybe it comes off, maybe it doesn't, but it's the maths comes out as 60%. So you're actually 4% more likely. Not only that, but you are likely to end the turn on non-zero power. If you spend all of that six power on your um, on your Haymaker overthrow, you're going to end up probably with none. Maybe you'll pick up a couple from your additional strike, but this way you're going to deal on average more damage and have at least as much, if not more power left over because you went with an eight dice strike, not a five dice strike. Right. And I think, honestly, Crossbones is probably an example that leans towards defending the point of this episode more so than most, because his overpower is all about bonuses, not necessarily more damage. It's right. It's longer range. It gives him a teleport. It also has the ability to throw, but it doesn't actually deal any more damage than his strike does. Uh, um, like Yeah, like I said, you've uh, actually at 70% on eight dice, but uh, you've got a 70% chance of dealing one damage if you can throw them into a piece of scenery or another character. Right, I just mean that his overpower isn't a higher damage spender like a lot of them. So Absolutely. But the point that we're getting to here is that there are going to be situations where you need the extra benefits of the spender attack. Maybe that's the range, maybe it's the status effect. But when we're talking purely from a damage dealing perspective, you want to be cautious of how you use it, and how it just gives power to your opponent and potentially leaves you on zero. Mm. I've run into this problem with Valkyrie quite a few times where <laughs> I go all out on her Dragon Fang, and then I'm ending the turn with zero power, and I'm kind of like, you know, I didn't daze them. Maybe it would have been better if I Warrior of Legend my strike and did a couple strikes and set her up where maybe she had the power to play Odin's blessing down the road or to play patch up on someone else, that sort of thing. And it, this was the sort of thing that got me thinking about this. Valkyrie's a really interesting one. Um, and I very rarely find myself using warrior of legend because it's just so enticing. You know, you're sitting there, you've got three power, let's say, and you're thinking, well, if I dragon fang and then I get the wild and then I get the strike, uh, maybe that's gonna maybe that's gonna pan out for me, and I can do it again. And if it doesn't, I've always got another strike, so I can get a couple of power off that to do a throw. Um, I think it's really interesting when you're talking about her sitting on five power, because theoretically, then you've got the power for a dragon fang, and you've already got the power for a warrior of legend. And I think what's probably the best thing to do for her is trigger your dragon dragon fang, and then use the warrior of legend. If you're gonna use it, use it on the strike. Five's a really interesting number, though, because you only need to do one damage with the strike in order to then have three power to do a second Dragon Fang. So I think typically I find myself in the game sitting there thinking, I, if I spend that power, it comes back to that original point of if I spend that two power on the strike, am I going to get three power back? Does it, does it generate enough for me to get the benefit, to get me back to where I was 
and then a bit more to make it actually worthwhile. Right. And I think I approach her a little bit differently. We're oftentimes, let's say, it's use your five power example, for instance. I want to throw someone, right? That's actually my primary mm-hmm. goal with Valkyrie, right? I don't actually necessarily care whether or not I daze them, but when she has the option to get some damage and build up power, you might want to in case dazing that character is important down the road. And so if I'm sitting on five power and I'm going, well, I've got the two power to throw no matter what, right? I'm good. I got the two power. I'm going to throw them. So mm-hmm. whether I daze them doesn't matter. They're leaving the crisis and I'm going to score my point. But now I've got this three power. What do I do with it? And you end up in this debate. Do I want to dragon fang or do I want to go for a strike and potentially warrior of legend on the strike? Do I just want to save the power? Like you've got a lot of options. And I'm starting to lean more towards amplifying the strike and then seeing how things go from there and then make a more educated decision. Because maybe if I spike high and now I have an opportunity to daze them, that might lead me to go, okay, I did decent damage. I built up some extra power. Now I have the chance to deny them an activation. And then maybe I go for the spender at that point. But I think starting off with a spender can end up biting you in the ass where you blow your power on something and then you deal them some damage. But now you're not going to daze them because all you've got is a plain strike left to do afterwards and you're draining all of your power and they're building up. So their next turn is going to be that much more explosive and you're having your power supplies with, you know, sapped (laughs) without actually having them sapped. But you get what I'm saying there. I, I totally do. Um, Valkyrie is a very spiky character. When she, oh, yeah. when she rolls well, she rolls really well. Uh, yeah. And she can do a huge amount of damage. Um, but when she rolls badly, she does just fall on her face sometimes. And I can kind of see that you're hedging your bets with that strategy of going, right, well, I'm going to strike first in order to kind of see where I'm at. If I roll well, great. I'll have the power to, to then go all in on her. And if I roll badly, well, if I had to roll badly on my dragon fang, then I'm suddenly out of power. Hmm. I'm in a, in a tough position anyway. By using um, by using Warrior of Legend to try and increase your average damage, I can see that that is going to smooth your curve of probabilities. Yeah, and then also you obviously run into an issue like depending on the power that you're, the target has, right? If they are already at nine power and so they can gain a maximum one, that makes the value of using a spender so much higher because best case scenario, they're getting one power. That's it. Mm. That's all they're going to get unless they have defensive superpowers. And so in that situation, suddenly you're like, well, now spending this power doesn't really have as much of a negative. Uh, But I think this is, this is one of the key points that we want you as the listener to think about and go, yes, rolling tons of dice is super fun. And Valkyrie, especially <laughs> with like Dragon Fang and Warrior of Legend, you can deal a bunch of damage, but you also got to step back and go, well, what happens when I did this big explosive attack? And I hit them for like five damage, but they're not dazed and I gave them five power and I'm down to zero power. What happens? And Absolutely. so just just things to think about. But we were already kind of started to dive into throwing characters with Valkyrie. And so just when before there's... we move on, I wanted to touch on Panther. Okay, sure. Oh, yeah. Panther. Oh, so good. So another character I think it's useful to talk about is Black Panther. Now, the article that took me the longest to write, uh, it took me about 10, 12 hours of just huge amounts of drafting and redrafting, was 
how to decide what attacks, how to use your power on Black Panther. He's got so many different ways of using his power, his pounds, his uh, uh, mantle of the Black Panther to give re-rolls to uh, his attack, all of his attacks that turn, which is fantastic. He's got uh, a spender attack, which uh, is a different type from his, uh, his strike. So we've got a physical strike and an energy spender. And then you can spend extra power to boost up your spender. And there's just this huge sort of decision tree of different ways of spending your power on Panther. So here's the cut down version from all the calculations I did. Go and look at the article, search Savior Protocols, Black Panther, and I'm sure it'll come up. But here's the, here's the, the cliff notes. Pounce when you can, because pounce is just a third attack and that's going to generate more damage. Once you've pounced, the next best thing you can do is spend power on Mantle of the Black Panther. Almost irrespective of defense, even someone like Venom, who's got four physical and two energy, the maths pretty much works out better for you going physical with rerolls than it does energy without. Yeah, being able to reroll any dice that you want to is fantastic. Like, even say when you're facing Modoc, being able to reroll any that you want, you go, oh, he blanks my wilds. So I'll reroll my wilds, right? Yeah. Like, two power, and it works on all your attacks. It's not just one attack, it's all of your attacks that round. Yeah, honestly, like, I have found that Mantle of the Black Panther is one of the best parts of Black Panther. He can end up with some really crazy situations where he can do a lot of damage really effectively and end up with having lots of power to use towards key cards like Vibranium Shielding or Patch Up mm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, Black Panther, I think, is a really great example of where you're not better off going for the big attack necessarily. You're near, you're here, you're better using your amplifier. Um, and a final character I want to touch on is. Iron Man. Now, Iron Man on his healthy side, we haven't quite got the same discussion we're talking about here. We've got very different things from his two attacks. Uh, do you want to push from his energy blast, try fishing for that wild, or do you want to ignore cover and line of sight and change the attack type? But where I think a really interesting comparison comes is between using Friday AI on his energy blast and Friday AI on his unibeam on his injured side. And I think what most players I've encountered have gone, oh, Friday AI Unibeam is just amazing. And I, it, I sat there and I thought, well, yeah, rolling lots of dice is great, but are you actually, do you want to damage all those people? Now, this ties into a bigger discussion about uh, what you touched on about giving power to people so that they can retaliate with that power or you doing cool things. How often do you Friday AI with Iron Man and daze everybody you targeted? I'd suggest it's not very often. Maybe <laughs> if you've set it yeah. up well, you daze, you daze one of the people. Um, let's say you, you've done really well and you've got three people in your, in your beam five. Um, one of those might go down. But do you really want to be adding two extra dice and doing that extra bit of damage and giving that extra power to those other two characters? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... It's different if it's like the last round of the game and this is, you know, you're you're going all out, which changes the dynamics. But sometimes people go for this stuff really early on when it's like I've definitely had some moments with Thor where I'm like, well, I want to use shock and then realize I didn't daze anybody. I spent all of my power and all I did was like give a bunch of different characters one to three power. Oh, his God of Thunder area attack. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's 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 interesting. 
But all right, uh, we've talked about throws just a bit, and I want to get into that in more detail because we've got a lot of throws where at first, because I think a lot of us started off playing a lot of MODOK and stuff, and it was all about throwing terrain at characters for additional damage. Mm -hmm. And you see all sorts of new players go, oh, man, it's not an action, so I basically just get another (laughs) attack. But it doesn't generate you any power if you throw a piece of terrain at someone, and if they take damage out of it, they're getting power out of it. And so this is where it starts getting interesting, and lately I have been focusing on if I can throw a character, I will almost always throw them. And a lot of the time it's more about position than it is about the damage at all. Like, I don't even care if I give them the one damage, unless it's about to daze them, obviously. But what are your thoughts on, like, how to utilize throws when considering the balance of power? So I think this touches on a wider point about power. Um, One thing that's worth saying is I really don't mind giving someone power if I'm about to KO them because they're not going to get an opportunity to spend that power. Now, if I'm giving power to someone and they get dazed because of this, the way the game is built and the the fantastic catcher mechanic built into it, they're going to have a turn where they can use that power to do something. So if someone's on their injured side and I'm going to KO them, I'm going to throw whatever I can at them to try and do as much damage as possible. But if someone's on their healthy side, and I'm unless I have a specific reason to need them dazed, maybe I need them to drop an extract, maybe uh, that's the only way I can stop them contesting a secure. But unless I actually want to get them dazed this turn and this is an integral part of that and with someone like thor that can often be the case thor's two two strikes even at six dice against something like valkyrie he's about 50 50 to uh, to block to take her out just uh, on his dice with his uh, throws as well assuming he gives one damage to her by throwing her on a wild so that's that's an okay chance but if i can then throw something at her as well then now I'm seriously increasing my odds and it's got a purpose. So that's kind of the way I'm approaching it currently is to say I'm much more likely to throw a piece of terrain at someone if they are already injured and I am taking them towards caring. And that's that's my strategy for this this round. Yeah, that perfectly makes sense to me. I It's been an interesting kind of deliberation because... Obviously, we want to we want to damage characters, and when you can weaken them and set them up for you know a situation where it's easier to daze them when it matters. But in my average game, what maybe three to four characters get dazed, and like maybe one gets KO'd. Like it's not inc- it's not that common. The reality is is that most characters are not going to get dazed. And I've been in way more situations where if I had had one more power, I could do some really crazy stuff Mm. and facilitate some really amazing plans. And you think about that from your opponent's perspective, if you throw them and throw them into a building and then set them up to have one more power, how often would one power totally change a particular character's turn? And do you want to give them that advantage? And you've got to And it's not a simple yes or no situation. It's something that you're going to have to deliberate in each situation. What's the power on that current character at that moment? What what are the key special abilities that they could potentially get to? Like, I think Captain Marvel is a great example. Don't throw Captain Marvel and get her to five power. (laughs) Like, (laughs) don't let her get to binary form at the beginning of her turn. (laughs) 
There is one special case, though, um, and it's a relatively common special case, and that is brace for impact. My general strategy with brace for impact is similar to Odin's blessing. I want to get my opponent to play it as soon as possible because the power of them holding it back is incredibly annoying. So it can affect your play decisions. So I want to go, great, do you know what? I just want this done and out of the way. So if I can throw a size four building at one of their important pieces, I'm relatively certain they're going to use Brace for Impact to try and prevent that large amount of damage. They might not, and then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But a lot of people are bringing Brace for Impact, and I think getting that out of your opponent's hand of tactics cards just makes your later turns much more predictable. Yeah, so you get into that situation where, like, I've got to daze someone. Oh, crap, they still have race for impact. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I think we could probably do a whole episode just on brace, because I think it's, <laughs> it's both really good and also overused and often used poorly. So it's, like, it's just a card that we could go into super amount of depth into. But, but anyway, so obviously this is another thing for our listeners to think about. Like, examine when you're utilizing your throws. Are you throwing terrain at a character for a specific purpose? Or are you just trying to get damage in there? And then is that going to bite you in the ass later on? Because this is another situation where you could be spending power to then give your opponent more power and not generate any for yourself. Nope. I think it ties in as well with our previous episode we did together about routes to victory and what your plan is. And if your plan is to sort of have a day's KO and that's how you're going to score victory points, then you're more likely to be using your power to throw for damage. Whereas if you're going, well, I want to, I'm secure focused, you're very unlikely to be using your throws to do damage because you're much more likely to be throwing someone off a of secure. Yeah, exactly. And I, this actually goes right into our next topic because I think Cabal adds another level to this discussion, right? Because Cabal obviously does want to daze and KO characters in most cases because they specifically their affiliation advantage comes from dealing damage to characters and getting extra power. But it's an interesting dynamic because obviously the the whole point of this affiliation is to get a power advantage while you're dazing and KOing characters. And so how you use it actually becomes even more significant for a Cabal player because you imagine... Your average attack, I know you've done the math, what most attacks over the course of the game are going to do probably one, two, or maybe three damage, right? Like that's the vast majority of attacks over the course of a game. Yeah, unless you're talking about like a four dice attack, in which case it's kind of 50-50 to whether it does any damage, but but yeah. Yeah, but right, like most cases, we're talking about only doing small amounts of damage per attack. And so when you think about it from a Cabal player's perspective, if they do a one damage, they're giving you one power and one damage, and then they get two. Right. And that's almost best case scenario for them. The more they do that, the more they're going to have a huge advantage in power. And it's still really good if they deal two damage. Right. They get three power. You get two. Mm. And how that can play into their advantage over the course of a long game. There's going to be lots of power generation and they want to end up with a huge extra amount that facilitates them dazing your king, your character. So you can't appropriately, you know, contest crisis. And so it gets really interesting with them about like, hey, do you you because obviously you could actually get power out of a spender than you normally wouldn't, right? Like if you know we use one of these examples and you use a spender attack, and now they can actually get one power out of it, and so it's not a complete zero, mm. but it does throw their balance out of whack a little bit, right? Because they're they're 
affiliation advantage comes from getting more power out of the situation than your opponent does. And the more they use the spenders, the more that power differential changes back out of their favor. So it's kind of curious, what are your thoughts on Cabal using their spender attacks versus not considering the affiliation advantage? I think probably the most important factor in this is what extract you're playing. A lot of Cabal players at the minute are looking at uh, are focusing on extracts, and if you're if you're maining Cabal, you're quite likely to be choosing extracts when you have priority. And the two that I'm seeing, which I think I agree, are the two best for Cabal are the evacuees and the hammers. And I think your choice on that is very different for those two extracts. The rationale behind that is your game plan when you've got evacuees is get some evacuees and get to six power. So one of your primary aims is going to be, how can I get to six power as quickly as possible? Now, clearly, you're going to get there faster if you're using strike type attacks rather than spender type attacks. So that strongly, um, it strongly motivates you to use those strike attacks instead of maybe I've got the power to use a spender, but I want to save that power because I've got to evacuate this evacuee. Contrast that with if you're playing on the hammer scenario, you have got even more dice. So you are even more likely to make sure you get that one back and you're doing more damage, which plays into your um, victory points by dazing and KOing characters line of play. So that's the, for me, looking at the state of Cabal now and the extracts they tend to play, that's the major consideration that I would have playing Cabal. And I think that's absolutely fair. I would take in an additional step and go, you need to be thinking about what characters you're running because, I mean, maybe this is going to play into in a future Cabal episode, but think about Modoc, for instance. Naturally, we all agree that he's a great character, and he actually does really great things when you think about the balance of power. One, he never has to use his spender. He has an absolutely phenomenal strike attack that generates him power every time. It's high damage. Most characters tend to be weak against Psychic, and so he's going to use that a lot and then he's going to generate power and then he's got the re-rolling ability so that he can generate additional successes in his strikes with his power to still again maintain that balance of power and then he's got multiple ways to spend that power to not you know give his opponent power like just bow, you know using bow to modok and like bow to the will and walk them away they don't generate any power but he gets victory points out of the situation and so Modoc naturally fits really well into this particular conversation. And maybe that's part of why he's been so good is because he naturally and he's got sap power on his mm -hmm. psychic strike. Like he can take power from your opponent that he just gave them from the damage. And so he creates this huge power differential. And I think having characters like that play into cabal strength and you could even say like maybe black panther is a perfect cabal character because his ability to use mantle of the black panther kind of plays into the same thing where he can have just incredibly efficient strikes and then he can just save it for that key kinetic blast at that moment when you're like dazing or KOing someone um and so i think that's one of the big things to think about with cabal it's not necessarily just who's got the biggest most powerful spender attacks it's going to be who can use that power that you're gaining and continue to keep that advantage for you? Just one thing I wanted to pick you up, something that you maybe didn't directly say, but implied is that with sap power, you can take power that has just been generated by damage. The timing of sap power is actually the other way around. 
if they don't have any power on them and you get those wilds, you don't get any power and then they get the power from the damage, just to be clear, clear about that. Yes, I, the way that I was saying it, what I intended was when you use your second psionic blast, you can sap power from the prior one, right, is what I, see, I right. was trying to get to, but I should have been more specific, because yes, the right. timing is absolutely such that you only get to take the power that they had before the attack, not the power that you're going to give them from that damage, which is but I, very but I, now to- I now totally understand your point that you were saying, so uh, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, but that's still an important element in this, right? Like his ability to generate extra power, use it really efficiently, and then further steal power back from that opponent that creates such a huge swing in the balance of power. And I think any character that can generate that sort of thing for Cabal will only amplify um, the current situation. Say like Venom is another great example. He can use his power to then generate another strike if he wants. Like he can do counterattack strikes with the power that you're giving him, which then also give him power. It's 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 very interesting, and it makes this decision making process all that much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about the defensive powers a bit, like invulnerability and vibranium shield. To a certain extent these powers make it a little bit more difficult to actually daze or KO characters, which tends to make people lean towards those spender attacks because they get to them more dice, which gives them a higher probability of actually getting some damage in. How do you think this affects this overall conversation? Do you, are you more likely to go after your spenders against all of these invulnerable black water characters that are coming? Um, So my first thought is, I don't want to attack them. They've got huge yeah. amount. They've got great defenses. They've got uh, this vulnerability as well. I'd much rather push them around than attack them. But certain teams, like Cabal, again, can keep going back to Cabal this episode. But Cabal want to do damage because that's how they leverage their ability. So you want to be. Um, I think Cabal's an interesting one because it's a, it reduces by one to a minimum of one, that particular power, which is, you know, we've seen it on Iron Man and it's on Drax as well, plus uh, some of the uh, Black Dwarf and uh, Corvus Glaive and Proxima Midnight. So we've got five characters now that have got this superpower, plus you can get it from Vibranium Shielding in Wakanda. It does reduce it to a minimum of one. So you are still going to get that one if you're Cabal. You're going to get your one through to trigger your ability. If you've got abilities that uh, need to do damage to trigger a status condition, for example... Again, those aren't affected. I think that's why they've worded it in that way. So to an extent, in as much as you're thinking about that element from Cabal or from your status, I don't think it affects it hugely. I don't think it changes your decision matrix enormously for those particular ones. It's everybody else that has to sort of take account of it. Yeah, I think they do really create a dynamic where the more of those characters you see on the table, the more likely that if they're going to force you to use spenders to have a reasonable chance to daze their characters, your plan probably shouldn't be to daze those characters. <laughs> like, yeah. you should have an alternate route to victory. That's true, but sometimes you find yourself in a situation where, okay, I didn't know whether they were going to drop this half of their roster or this half of their roster, and, ah, oh, they've dropped the Black Order. Oh, okay, I've, got, I've now got to run with this. One thing that's true about those characters is they tend to have less power than other characters because they have this extra defense layer built in they are getting typically one less power per attack than 
other characters. Yes, that makes them more durable, but it also means they've got a smaller resource pool. So there's, there's, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that regard. Yes, they stick around longer, but they can't do as much. Yes, it's true. And it does seem like all of them, if you let them get a bunch of power, it's really bad. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> yes, much all of them. Every every invulnerable character is just like, if you actually do me deal me a bunch of damage, it's really bad for you. Yeah. yeah Which amplifies bad. the maybe attacking them is not the right direction to go. Or uh, finding ways of mitigating that damage. Um, things like pushing them out of a gamma shelter or uh well i think i think Ro- i mean we're talking about cabal a lot and yeah. this is probably why i'm going to be doing a, another cabal episode soon <laughs> i think this applies to them in a really big way but um ronin for instance his ability to judge characters and then not allow them to get power from attacks i think is going to be huge for cabal i think ronin is going to see a lot of cabal play or generally on that topic, stun. So we're seeing more and more stun coming into the game. The new Hawkeye being able to give out stun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all all of those things are going to factor in in a big way. So, okay. Well, I think we we've kind of we've kind of hit the key point, which is you you really got to evaluate: is it worth going after that a character? How important is it for you to get damage on that character before you start blowing power on a spender on these characters? And they can be a trap where you can, like, invulnerability is already a great power. And if they then get you to start blowing your power on spenders and then still not daze them or just set them up to use their power really effectively, then you're kind of playing into the game plan of those characters. Mm. But obviously, it's going to be a little bit different from, you know, in each individual game. You know, there's no way for us to give you, like, a just a flat out, like, this is the right answer. But we're trying to give you enough information so you can try to think about these sort of things. So, all right. Well, we do have another topic, tactics cards. This is one that I was wavering back and forth on a bit. Thinking about, obviously, if you're not always using your power for uh, spender attacks, obviously tactics cards ends up being one of the really big ways that you can then utilize that power because sometimes you've got stuff like follow me, you've got stuff like patch up that can be really expensive cards and then it's like, okay, well, sometimes say follow me can literally allow you to spend your power in such a way that allows another character to use strike attacks and then further increase how how much power you're getting out of the situation which I think is part of why Cabal is starting to run more follow me. But that also brings into question things like Guardians of the Galaxy and their ability to add rerolls to potentially various strike attacks that then allow them to generate more power, but then do not cost them any power to play that card because it's the leadership ability. What are your thoughts on how tactics cards play into this discussion? I think Guardians is a great case in point because... Uh, Guardians, you're always going to be including Star-Lord, and he can be a bit of a power battery. He can build up power. Uh, He's only got one way to spend power, which is making attacks, so he's generating any power from taking damage. Chances are you're going to have some left over. And you're right, uh, winging it doesn't cost any power. Now, that means that they kind of are running a bit of a surplus of power often. They have this power available to pay for more expensive tactics cards like Follow Me, like Patch Up. So I think that's something you should be factoring in almost at roster creation. If you're thinking I'm going down a Guardian's route, 
I'm going to have a maybe a bit more power than I'm used to. So I can include, instead of just one expensive card, maybe I'll take two of those big spending cards. Or, you know, with winging it, you might even be thinking, well, I could even go as many as three of them. Because maybe I'm not going to pay for them all, but I can always ditch one for um, for the rerolls. Yeah, absolutely. And to kind of shake things off Cabal for a minute, I know we were just talking about Guardians. But I think on the flip side, Avengers tends to want a lower... Um, a lower power game, right? Because they have kind of a net amount of power that they can benefit from in every given game because they can only get it once per their turn and then on defensive superpowers. And so they kind of have this static amount. They can't, there's only a limit of like how many times they can gain this kind of at maximum. Mm. So they end up benefiting from having situations where they're, not dealing a bunch of damage to their opponent because that then just gives them more power and then throws the balance back out of whack. So I think for Avengers, they want to be thinking about really efficient ways to use their power with their cards where maybe they don't want as many of those... Um, uh, now I'm, I'm like backing up on my own thought process here. <laughs> I'm like, how does it affect them exactly? Like, do they want something like patch up so that they can put a lot of their power into like maintaining their stability or do they want some less expensive, more efficient cards that play into a lower overall power game? What are your well, thoughts? there? I've got some thoughts, particularly about recalibration matrix. That's a card we that was played a lot. And when the game first came out and you don't see as much anymore, but the one place that I do really like it is in Avengers because it shores up one of the things they haven't got covered, which is rerolls. Apart from Black Panther, they're really low on in-affiliation rerolls. So one of the affiliations where I still see myself running Recalibration Matrix is in Avengers. I think they get quite a lot of benefit out of it. But it costs three. And quite a lot of the time, the Avengers are saying, well, do you know what? I don't want to be spending this power in my turn because so much of my advantage comes from spending my power in your turn on defensive abilities that I'm getting cheaper. So if I'm spending all of my power in my turn on, on cool stuff and cool abilities, I'm not able to leverage my leadership ability in order to try and generate a bit of power economy advantage. So even a three, it's only a three cost card. It's not super expensive, but even then you're thinking, mm, can I afford three power to pay for this card? And it's, it's just a really interesting place to look at Avengers right now. Avengers Assemble, great. One power and movement shenanigans. It's fantastic. Um, if you've got Hulk, uh, Gamma Launch, by all means, yeah, Gamma Launch, if you're playing Hulk, you probably want to be playing Gamma Launch. Three power, that's not an argument. That's not really the discussion we're having. It's these other cards that are going to be played on other characters. Is three power, is it worth it? Maybe sometimes, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe that power is better used for those uh, to generate a power advantage through using all your defensive abilities. I think another interesting question with Avengers plays into, is it better to use the defensive superpowers and defensive cards in response to spenders or strikes? Because obviously they don't want to be dazed, but also they want to continue having their opponent with less overall power than they do. So I'm potentially thinking lean towards use it on their use it versus their strikes, use it versus their power generating abilities and try to like 
minimize the amount of power that they have. Even if you've got to take a big spender at some point, the more strikes that you negate, the less overall power they have, which means the less overall attacks and special abilities they're going to be able to utilize. Can you give me some examples of some cards, some defensive tech cards you like in Avengers? Well, in this, I'm not just talking about tech cards, but say we're just talking about recalibration matrix and you're trying to Mm -hmm. decide when to use it. And I could easily see someone saving it for a moment where they're like, okay, they're using this like big spender attack and I want to try to like nullify it on it. But maybe the right time is to just use it on a key Modoc psychic blast or something, right? Where you're just like, mm-hmm. I just want to do, he's low on power right now. So he doesn't have a lot of reroll potential. If I can deplete the overall effectiveness of this attack and I can kind of like stunt his turn and maybe that sort of play will advantage an Avengers player more so than just going for the, I'm trying to negate damage, but also take away some of their power advantage. Yep. I can see that. Okay. So I don't know. This is a really, really interesting discussion. And there's, I I love it the most because there is no perfect answer to Mm -hmm. any of this. Right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So do you have any final thoughts that we weren't able to get to during the other topics? Yeah. I've got a question for you because you've been playing a lot of Wakanda and so have I. Wakanda's got a really interesting place because very often you've got this kind of gamble. You're making an attack. You've already got two damage through, let's say. You've got a power sitting on. You don't particularly have a plan. I don't need that to do a throw on Valkyrie, for example. Uh, I've got this power sitting there. How often would you spend that to try and get an extra power? Maybe you're using a strike, so you're thinking, well, I've got a 50% chance of just getting this power straight back and doing an extra damage. How often do you find yourself taking that option? It depends on the situation, obviously. I mean, that's kind of like, that's... Uh, kind of feels like the easy answer, but in general, I think if I'm actively wanting damage on that character, I will go for it um, because it you're, you're going to end up with some power surpluses. And again, I think in general, the, the Wakanda affiliation is a good way, especially if you're using it on a strike attack where you can get that power right back potentially. And I think over the course of maybe not every single time you use it, is it going to benefit you? But as long as you use it in the situations where you have a better chance of dealing damage than not, right? Like obviously if you're attacking Modoc, maybe not because he can negate wild. So that switches you down to maybe only a 50, 50 chance of it helping you. But in almost every other situation, if you're at, you know, even damage with your opponent or you're dealing one damage and you've got a chance to reroll one die and they don't have any other rerolls. I think in general, I think it's a good decision. If we're just talking totally in a vacuum. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th- I find myself using it a lot, but I often find myself questioning, was that a good thing to have been doing? Because this comes back to what we were talking about before. Yes, I've done an extra damage, but I've also given them an extra power, and I haven't gained power. Best case scenario, I've got the same amount of power as if I didn't use it, and I've generated an extra power for them. Well, so I'm going to cautious you here because this was actually back into the arguments that you were making the last time we were talking about this and you ended up Mm. backing up on it. Don't you're always going to have some power to spend. Right. And the question is, when you have that power, are you spending it in such a way that improves the balance of power in your favor or are you spending it in a way that worsens it? 
And when you're using the Wakanda affiliation leadership to re-roll on strikes that have a reasonable chance of getting you power out of it, it's it can give you damage and give you that power right back as opposed to using it on say like a spender attack that gets you nothing out of it yeah now i'm not saying that's always the right answer but that is kind of the the core element that we're talking here is how how do you use your power if it's not always to just use spender attacks but if we were to kind of summarize this episode into like one very very small point it's Think about how you're spending your power and think about in the long run over the course of the entire game, is this something that is benefiting you more or benefiting your opponent more? And that is the question that I think you should be asking. Well, all of us should be asking. Sometimes it's incredibly clear. I spend three power, I throw a character off, that scores me a victory point. That is an incredibly good use of power. Three, spend three power, gain a victory point, yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. Like... But sometimes, you know, oh, I'm I'm just happened to be standing next to this character over here. I'm probably they're they're on full stamina. I'm not going to daze them, but I've got the power to spend uh, on a spender attack. Should I do it? Well, maybe, but probably not, unless it does tie in directly to a route to victory. You're spending power. You're giving them power, and what are you getting for it? Right, and that's where that's where I've noticed I've made plays over the course of various games that I'm like, hmm, you know, going for that has not ended up benefiting me overall. It may have felt good in that moment, but yeah. overall, what I ended up doing was setting my opponent up for how that went the next turn. And so one thing I'm going to start keeping track of in a lot of my practice games is how much power does both team generate And does both team then get to spend? And we're stepping into a new era with characters like Agent Widow that has an attack that does not allow your opponent to generate power off of it. You have Ma that has another attack that allows you to not let your opponent generate power. You have Ronin who can more easily hand out judgment and deny power generation. You have more stun characters. How much is this balance of power situation going to be affecting the overall success of players. And if I were to do a hot take right now, I think if we come back to this conversation in May of next year, I think it is going to be a very, very significant part. And I think whether it's subconsciously or very consciously, I think managing that balance of power and how you utilize your power is going to be an integral part of gaining an advantage over your opponent and winning games. Absolutely. We've already spoken on a bonus episode about um, building a team that leverages that and who's spending a lot of the game denying power. I think that's going to be a list that uh, certainly I'm working on. I'm very excited to see what's possible with it. Don't know if it's going to work, but it's an area I'm really keen to explore. Right. And I think it. this has got me thinking about how different characters work in different affiliations like say obviously i think most people realize that loki isn't a great avenger because he can use i am a god on his defensive powers so he can spend power to deny power to his opponent and he can use it on his one of the best places for him to use i am a god offensively is on his strike which then gets him power that he can then use in ways that don't generate any power for his opponent and so Loki naturally fits into the Avengers plan and with his trickster ability, like his, you know, mischief, he can then further hinder the economy for his opponent. But then 
take an Avenger character that might prefer to be Cabal, I think Captain Marvel is actually kind of a poor Avenger because mm. she really wants to get to a binary form, right? Like that's kind of where she really excels. The more she gets to binary forms, the better she is. And her ranged attack doesn't deal a ton of damage, but it's really effective at getting to at least one or two points, which plays into the Cabal strategy of the more times you deal one or two damage, the more times you're creating a huge economic advantage for you. And she can then take that power and put it right back into attacks and getting six dice attacks that you can reroll as many as you want. I, I think Captain Marvel and Cabal may be an untapped treasure, but it, that's going to be a it's easy to say in a vacuum, but I don't know if it's necessarily true in the full team, but it's something I want to explore. Yeah, I've played uh, Captain Marvel and Cabal, and, and chaining binary forms is is totally doable. You get one from your uh, power phase. Uh, every time you use Energy Blast, you gain one automatically, whether it deals damage or not. And if it does deal damage, you get another one. If you've already got a binary form up, you're rolling six dice, re-roll all of them. It's The odds are huge for you actually getting at least one through. If you can do two attacks in a turn, getting one through each time, that's your five power to then use binary form for the next turn as well. So yes, uh, the issue comes, where do you build her into a team and on what scenario are you playing? Captain Marvel, I think really lends herself to uh, the uh, Meteors origin bomb scenario. And that's not one that Cabal particularly excels at. So I think there's a little bit of dissonance there. This is true. But mind you, whenever you have a character like Captain Marvel, which I often hate attacking her, Right, Because you're like, oh, I just don't want to set her up for a binary form, so I don't want to deal damage to her. But mm. that also plays into the Cabal strategy, right? Where they're like, the more that they can gain an advantage via the Days and KO matchup, and again, she kind of plays into that. So it's a question of what does what does the overall team end up looking like? Um, but I, I will... Here's another hot take. I think... Event, I think even a couple months from now, when we start looking at some of the most competitive teams, I'm going to say almost all of the most competitive Avengers rosters will have Loki in them. Ooh. Um, see, I think Loki is going to find a new home, is my hot take. Uh, that might be in Defenders, or that might be in um, Web Warriors. But uh, I've got lots of plans for Loki. I've got lots of... Uh, I mean, you see how those two affiliations pan out. But yes. my hot take is, you know, I think Loki is going to be key to some competitive lists in the near future. I'm not convinced it's with Avengers. Fair enough. But I will also say, I think Loki with Gem is also going to see a lot of play, specifically the Mind Gem. Yes. All right. Well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed Jacob and I tackling this topic. I would love to hear your feedback. Is this something you've already been thinking about? Or is this something that once you're thinking about it, you're going, that's part of why my existing strategy is already working? Or is it making you rethink your attacks? Or are we just totally wrong? And this is a bad topic. I want to I'm curious as what you think either way. I know Jacob's pretty curious as well. Mm. It's really got me thinking this topic. I thought I knew what I thought about it. And then I thought about it some more and realized, no, no, I, I completely disagree with myself. And, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> We've maybe, all I'll come, maybe I'll come full circle and I'll change my mind again. But this is where I am at the minute. Hey, there was a point where I was like all about dual affiliation rosters. Then there was like <laughs> two months where I was like single affiliation roster. Anyone who's making dual affiliation roster is wrong. And now I'm like, 
I almost can't imagine making a single affiliation <laughs> roster. And so we definitely go in circles in some of these topics. But Jacob, thank you for recording this topic with me. This was a this was a ton of fun. I'm really happy with how this episode is turning out. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, listeners, go out there, take advantage of your power situation. And when it comes to the balance of power, I hope that your strategy is just too OP. Peace.